This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, an intermedicine physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The world has been taken in the last three months by storm due to COVID-19. As you know, COVID stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. It's caused by the virus, 120 nanometer size virus called SARS-CoV-2, which stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. What do we already know about this virus? December 12, 2019, the first case linked to seafood market in Wuhan, China, was reported. In January 11, 2020, the first death due to the new virus was reported in China. January 13, 2020, the first case outside China was confirmed in Thailand. WHO reported a global emergency on January 30, 2020. February 1, 2020, the first case was reported in the United States. In U.S. today, we have over 54,000 cases and 784 deaths. Worldwide, there's over 430,000 cases with over 19,000 deaths. We have all been working day and night to figure out what the symptoms of this disease has been. We know that from a study from Wuhan of 138 patients who were infected with COVID-19, 99% of patients had fever. Fatigue was present in over 70% cases, dry cough in 59% of cases, anorexia in 40%, myalgia in 35%, and dyspnea in 31% of cases, respectively. But we now know that 20% of cases could have temperature below 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. However, a new symptom has come up, and that is the, the focus of today's discussion. The UK Health Minister Nadine Doris and the Jazz basketball player, Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobar, both affected by coronavirus, mentioned in a Twitter that they could not smell. They had anosmia. Today, we are joined over phone by Dr. Erin O'Brien, Rhinology Division Chair for the Division of for the Department of Otorhinology at Mayo Clinic. Thank you for joining us today, Erin. I would like to kind of ask you a couple of questions on what we, what is the current understanding of anosmia or the lack of smell in patients with COVID-19. This is a relatively new symptom that's being discussed, and like you said, it's been uh, getting out on Twitter, but we have some new data from some reports that are coming out. So, Erin, what do we know about the incidence or how often does anosmia happen in patients with COVID-19? So there's a new report out of Korea this week, and in Korea they've been very aggressive about testing people with symptoms, but also contacts who don't necessarily have symptoms. And in this report that just came out, they, in 3,000 people who tested positive who had symptoms, 12% lost smell only, 11% lost taste only, and 8% lost taste and smell. So that's about 30% of people who had symptoms and tested positive. But like I said, they've also been testing asymptomatic people 
and in 1,400 people who were COVID positive but did not have the classic symptoms, fever and cough, 30% of them also had some report of smell loss. It was similar with 13% smell loss only, 10% taste loss only, and 8% taste and smell. So even without other COVID symptoms, about 30%, so they think of just a mild case of COVID, had some taste and smell loss. There's another report that just came out of Germany, which is much smaller, where they talked to 100 people who had mild COVID symptoms who were quarantined at home. So these were people who were not sick enough to go to the hospital. And in that report of 100 people with mild COVID, two-thirds reported a taste or smell symptom. Um, those are the only reports we have right now other than these anecdotal reports. This is, this is of importance, Erin, uh, because what we know about the clinical presentation of COVID-19, 81% of patients have no symptoms or mild pneumonia-like symptoms. It's called, it's called mild clinical symptoms. Of course, we know of those cases of severe diseases where they present with dyspnea or hypoxia uh, with about 50% of their lung involvement within 24 to 48 hours. But these are only 14% of the cases. And the critical diseases which end up with respiratory failure and shock with multi-organ failure, they comprise about 5%. So the question I would like to know, uh, is there any difference we know about uh, the, the prevalence or incidence of anosmia in patients who are belonging to this 81% or asymptomatic COVID-19 with the symptomatic patients of COVID-19? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of data out about asymptomatic patients because there's a lot of places that aren't confirming COVID positive and asymptomatic carriers other than this Korean study. Now, the British ENT Society and British Rhinologic Society this week is saying that they think some of these people who have just a sudden onset loss of smell could be hidden carriers of COVID. And I think that's mostly based out of this Korean study, but also physicians in the UK hearing of patients who are just reporting sudden loss of smell at a higher rate than we typically see. So there's some concern that just loss of smell could be someone who's carrying COVID. We don't know if mild cases are more likely to have sense of smell. It might be just the same as people with more severe disease. I think when people have more severe COVID, they're focusing on the fever and the cough. And frankly, I don't know that a lot of physicians are asking about taste and smell. I think hopefully with this information coming out, people will be asking more. And so we'll find out if the incidence here and elsewhere besides Korea and Germany is similar. So uh, as, I, as I understand from what you're saying, anosmia or lack of smell or altered taste should be a screening question for patients whom we are suspecting to have COVID-19 infection? In the UK and Britain, they are advocating, and I heard there's going to be some potentially new guidelines coming out today or tomorrow, but they're suggesting that loss of taste and smell should be a screening symptom. And in the U.S., the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery is also now advocating for loss of taste or smell to also be a screening symptom. So my next question could be, 
what could be the cause of anosmia in COVID? What do we have any hypothesis or some working theory on this? We know that COVID causes a high viral load in the nose and nasal pharynx. In fact, the nose is one of the highest sites of viral load for COVID-19. Looking at other viruses that cause loss of smell, loss of smell can be fairly common with other viruses like rhinovirus that cause a common cold. When people get a cold from a virus, initially they may not be able to smell because their nose is congested and it's just the blockage of the nose that prevents smell. Some of those patients, mm -hmm. though, after the cold symptoms resolve, will notice that they can't smell even though they can breathe through their nose. And we think some of that smell loss is because the virus actually can injure the uh, olfactory nerve endings. In the top of the nose are the olfactory neurons, and they're basically exposed to the outside world, and they can be infected with a virus. We think that those neurons actually die if they're infected with the virus to help protect the central nervous system so that the virus can't spread through the olfactory nerves into the brain. That's a theory. But with other viruses, because they can actually injure the nerves and cause the nerves to die, it's possible that that's happening with coronavirus. From what I've heard, there's less congestion and running nose, I think, with COVID. We don't know for sure than with other viruses. So one theory is that the virus is actually injuring the nerve endings in the nose, causing loss of smell. The truth is we don't know for sure yet because we don't really have any data that's speculation, but that's what happens with other viruses. As a, as a general practitioner in the Mayo Clinic for the last 20 years, I think one of the most challenging cases I see is when patients come with uh, anosmia. They're, they're not able to uh, smell, and this is when uh, I take the help of Dr. O'Brien. But I was looking at the enhanced data, the United States uh, National Health and Nutritional Examination Survey. Even prior to COVID, what's mentioned that in U.S. alone, there are 13.3 million individuals over 40 years who have some form of olfactory dysfunction of which about 3.4 million or 3.2% have anosmia or severe hyposmia. Uh, but it, it so appears that we are not very good at reporting a loss of smell. We are very good at reporting that our smell is normal, meaning that this symptom of loss of smell has a low sensitivity of 54% and a specificity of uh, 78%. Uh, so knowing this, are there any different degrees of anosmia in this group of patients that they're complaining, they're, they're probably more affected than the normal cases of anosmia, which we'll talk about in a minute, which we see in general practice? And are there any specific orders uh, that we need to test these patients who are affected by COVID-19? What do we know about this, Erin? Uh, yeah, so the reports out of Korea and Germany didn't really qualify how much smell loss there is. It was just a self-reported symptom of loss of smell or loss of taste. So we don't know how many people only had partial loss. I think some people are trying to do more prospective studies or prospective data collection. There are smell tests that can help determine if someone has a partial loss. They're basically scratch and sniff tests or identifying smells. 
So hopefully we'll get some more data. Right now we just have self-reported loss of smell. Some of the Twitter uh, reports that you mentioned and some others I've seen are where people say all of a sudden they can't taste anything or they can't smell anything. Again, we don't know about more mild loss. The other thing is that older people normally start to lose smell as they get older. So it's unknown if someone who's over 65 who may be already having some decreased sense of smell with normal aging, if they would be able to perceive if they lost smell or not. We don't have any data yet on if there's a difference in the smell loss based on age either with COVID. The other question you had was about specific odorants. Um, I've seen some studies that there's a, some certain things that people have around the house that may be helpful, like spearmint, like your toothpaste, or garlic, if you have garlic in your refrigerator. Having something that you can try to smell that you have around the house, um, those two smells or odorants were in some studies uh, very consistent with more specific smell tests done in the doctor's office to identify if someone could smell or not. So as I, as I said that um, even prior to COVID, we, we haven't seen so many cases. Uh, there'll be an outpouring of cases to ENT and internal medicine. Uh, if really 30% um, stands out as a number of patients with anosmia, that's a huge number. Uh, but apart from that, there are many other causes of anosmia which is happening or which has happened even prior to COVID in general practice. And Erin, could you talk about the kind of cases that you see in which are referred to you by internist or family practice, patients who have uh, who could have anosmia, and which are the worrisome types and which are not the worrisome, which are the less worrisome types of anosmia? The, the most common reason is after a viral infection or after an upper respiratory tract infection where people get a loss of smell, and that could be from obstruction or sinusitis, but after the cold passes, if the smell loss persists, it's most likely from viral injury. That's maybe 40% of smell loss in general, we think. Um, that type of smell loss can recover, can improve. The thing about the olfactory neurons is that they can regenerate. They're the only nerve in the body that regenerates. And so people, even years after a viral smell loss, can regain their sense of smell. The other reasons for smell loss might be chronic rhinosinusitis, um, head injury, a closed head injury can cause sudden smell loss, and after head injury, unfortunately, they're unlikely to get a return of smell because the nerves have been sheared or torn. Sometimes we just don't know, so there's a large category that's just idiopathic. And then, like I said, aging, it's very common in older people that they can't really smell much of anything. Um, you can see loss of smell with other neurologic diseases such as Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease. I have had people come in worried that if they can't smell, it's because they have Alzheimer's. Um, generally, those are also patients who don't recognize that they can't smell because they also start to have some memory decline. So losing your sense of smell does not necessarily mean that you're more prone to have those neurologic diseases if you don't have any family history or any other uh, symptoms that are concerning. But again, it's usually uh, smell loss after uh, upper respiratory tract infection or aging or idiopathic. I would say 
some taste disorders and some smell disorders can be associated with medications like antihyperlipidemics and some antihypertensives. And uh, what are the other viral infections that cause temporary or uh, more prolonged anosmia? So uh, rhinovirus, we think, can cause smell loss, which causes the common cold. There's some para-influenza viruses. Basically, any virus that causes an upper respiratory tract infection, we think, can be a cause of post-viral olfactory loss. And so you can see it after a cold. So even now, people are still getting colds. People are still getting influenza. So those could also be a cause of smell loss. Um, and there have been some other coronaviruses that have been associated with smell loss as well. So we are still in the flu season, and of course, uh, COVID is just one of the many uh, that is adding on to the burden of our problems, including coronavirus, uh, rhinovirus, flu, and looks like there could be all there could be other cases of anosmia which one could be seeing right now, and this this could be a time to uh, just be aware of it. Of course, they will probably need COVID testing, as you just mentioned, that there may be asymptomatic cases also uh, of COVID who could have anosmia. So it's just uh, we have to be more alert uh, when somebody presents with anosmia uh, in, during this period. Now is a, I would like to know from you, um, is this situation temporary anosmia or is it permanent? Um, how do we manage anosmia, and are there any remedies that you're aware of during this period that uh, one could look at and prescribe for patients who have anosmia? So right now, in speaking with some of my Korean colleagues, there's no longitudinal data, so we don't know yet what the recovery rate is or how long it may take to recover. With other post-viral olfactory loss, you can see improvement up to a couple years after smell loss, and the rate at which people recover can depend on things like their age, so older people are less likely to recover or may recover more slowly. Um, and the degree of smell loss can affect recovery, so someone with complete olfactory loss or anosmia is less likely to have complete recovery compared to someone with hyposmia or partial loss. If someone came in just a regular cold and had smell loss that had been present for a couple months, I would consider systemic steroids or topical nasal steroids. Unfortunately, with COVID, there's been some debate about giving systemic steroids with COVID. And so right now, the other rhinologists and ENTs that I've been in touch with online are saying we should hold off on giving systemic steroids for these patients until we know what the potential effects of steroids are on COVID infections in general. So for right now, I think conservatively, I would say for someone who has new onset smell loss, I would hold off on systemic steroids. The only treatment that we know that's really effective is actually olfactory retraining. In other cases of smell loss, we tell people to practice smelling every day. So get a couple things around the house or some essential oils that you can smell and actually practicing smelling every day, taking a deep breath through the nose and trying to smell can actually help people recover their smell more quickly. That's the safest. The other um, issue I'd say with smell loss too for people to be aware of is a safety issue. 
making sure that their smoke detectors work, making sure that if they have natural gas or propane in their house that either they have an alarm or someone else in the house who could tell them if they have a gas leak, making sure their food's not expired because if they can't smell, they won't be able to detect a fire or a leak or bad food. That's an excellent uh, point that segues to my uh, next observation, which I've had. And I said these are some of my uh, most challenging patients even prior to COVID because, as you said, uh, the, the knowledge is that this could last for months, if not maybe years. And I've had a patient of, uh, with anosmia uh, who became, frankly, depressed uh, as the patient could not uh, socialize or didn't want to socialize with his friends, didn't want to go out to restaurants because of his altered taste um, and and the smell, and that, that really brought him down. He lost weight, and there are one case I remember that I had to actually order for a B12, uh, complete blood count, thyroid test, things like that, because I was worried that he was developing nutritional deficiencies um, as a result of his anosmia. And I would like to reemphasize um, what you exactly said, uh, Dr. O'Brien, that there may be an inability to detect odors of spoiled food, smokes, and gas leaks. And during this time, physicians who are seeing these patients, I know they're going to be overburdened by managing many other aspects of corona with all the contact tracing and informing everything. But for the patient, they have to either give a written guideline or, or uh, call their call their loved ones saying that this is going to be a problem and they should be careful about uh, not being around smoke. They won't be able to identify smell of smoke or gas leak or spoiled food. Especially this is of concern of individuals who are among certain professions, like if you're a chef, uh, there goes uh, your job uh, because that's, that's, that's part of your job is smelling food. If you are a, if you are a perfumer, or you're a firefighter, um, you require your sense of smell. So um, the, the emotional part of anosmia goes just beyond just the diagnosis of anosmia, but what to do with these patients. And some have uh, recommended follow-up with their primary care every four, six, and 12 months, um, more so for uh, an empathic discussion and support, but uh, from your standpoint, Dr. O'Brien, uh, I know you can be, your entire group of rhino, team of rhinology might be inundated with patients uh, just who have lost smell, it's 30% of the smell. So what kind of follow-up would you recommend to these patients, uh, follow-up with you or group or follow-up with a nurse practitioner or follow-up with a primary care? Uh, what are they expecting and how do we emotionally support these patients? I will say first that, um, yes, I will acknowledge, too, that we have seen reports of increased depression and anxiety for people who have lost their smell in general, so that's definitely an association that we see as well. As far as seeing new patients for smell onset, so two things. One, we are really limiting how many people we see for acute symptoms right now in general. But the other thing is out of China and Iran and Italy, they are reporting higher rates of infection for ENT doctors, potentially because they're seeing patients who have COVID with mild disease. And so the ENTs have been 
more careful recently about um, seeing patients who may be shedding virus out of their nose. So for anyone who's seen someone with new onset smell, I would be very cautious that they could be carriers. Um, as far as follow-up, right now, unfortunately, we don't know what the best treatment option is going to be, and maybe even a phone visit may be more appropriate. But people can try some olfactory training or try to smell things at home, both therapeutically to try to improve their smell and also to help monitor on their own if their smell is improving. We do have smell tests, basically, this, like I said, the scratch and sniff tests or smelling different odorants in the office to give someone a score on their sense of smell. And potentially in the future, we could track people over time and see how quickly their smell improves. Um, but right now, since we don't have a treatment, it may be more appropriate for a phone visit at this point to document and to get advice from your uh, physician or provider, but not necessarily look in someone's nose at this time until we know if smell loss could be a sign of an asymptomatic COVID carrier or a mild COVID infection. That's an excellent point, uh, uh, Dr. O'Brien, and it's very important to see the that you, you and your team are protected during this period. Of course, in four months and six months, if the anosmia persists, the patient would have completely recovered by then, and that would be a different uh, different uh, conversation. I, I just read a study uh, published by from Seoul, Korea. I don't know. Uh, they probably have a strong team on this. Um, it was published in the American Journal of Rhinology and Allergy 2014, where they studied 63 patients with anosmia, uh, it's composed of 19 males and 44 females, the age range of 49.5 years. They found an 80% subjective improvement of anosmia around the year, but importantly, they found that uh, female gender um, resulted in a more favorable prognostic um, sign uh, to be in a female gender and a longer follow-up, and some of them took up to two years to show benefit. Um, and you're right. In another study which I read, they mentioned that these patients with upper respiratory tract infection who had anosmia, many uh, improved. In fact, a third of them, not many actually, a third of them improved within the first six months. And the rate of recovery was higher in younger patients compared to older patients for the same reason that you mentioned, that uh, with age we lose our olfactory neurons, uh, and that might be resulting in a slower recovery in an older age. And I, I saw some studies uh, indicating zinc as a possible treatment, but the double-blind study was had showed no benefit. And there was a German study, uh, which was written by the person who reviewed the zinc study, mentioned that the glutamate receptor antagonist Cavarine um, had shown some promise but I, I don't think it went much further than that. But these are tough times, and uh, I think with the newer uh, treatment plans coming for COVID, which the FDA is looking at and CDC is in the process of studying and probably approving, it's possible that some of these off-label drugs like zinc could be tried. Um, but I absolutely agree with you that uh, the olfactory training program might help. At this point, do you have uh, 
before we wind up, uh, any other comments for uh, your group, in particular the rhinologists in the world, and and because this podcast goes to uh, physicians, surgeons, everyone, and that I think the point that you made that we have got to be careful about not exposing ourselves when we see somebody with anosmia and take it in the same symptom complex, same protection as COVID and go with it rather than get too excited about it. Though the world needs to know about anosmia and how to approach and that this this is a symptom, we've got to be careful in protecting ourselves that uh, we don't get lost in the process of not taking precautions when we see a patient of anosmia. But any uh, parting thoughts, Dr. O'Brien? Yeah, just in the last week with the American Academy of Otolaryngology and some other um, ENT societies worldwide, like I said, there's been a lot more uh, awareness of the potential risk of ENTs and other providers being exposed or getting infected with COVID because of the high viral load in the nose. So for anyone who's seen someone with upper respiratory symptoms, please be aware of the high rate of viral load coming out of the nose. And then um, there are some health systems here in the U.S. that are starting to use smell loss as one of their screening symptoms. And fortunately, the, the press, the New York Times, CNN, and others are spreading the word about this symptom of smell loss. Really, it's just come out in the last week. Um, these studies of the uh, prevalence of it, 30% potentially, and then people reporting online. And so I think the word is getting out, but I'd like to see more people using this potentially as a screening tool, especially for those mild symptoms. People may be asymptomatic carriers who may be not quarantining because they don't have a fever and don't have a cough. And so I appreciate that you're having this episode and raising awareness so that more people are aware of smell loss or taste loss as a potential symptom of COVID, even without the other more significant symptoms. So we have been talking about anosmia and COVID-19 with Dr. Erin O'Brien, Chair of Rhinology at the Mayo Clinic Rochester. Thank you for your time, Erin. I would like to reemphasize, number one, anosmia and loss of taste could be present in asymptomatic cases of COVID, and this would require attention and and, um, um, screening for uh, COVID-19. Number two would be that we should not get exposed. We should be careful not to have our ENT colleagues in particular get exposed at this stage uh, of acute illness uh, to patients who are coming with anosmia as, as this could infect our colleagues. And number three, Patients with anosmia, with COVID, at the present moment, we do not know how long they would have the symptoms, but from our experience with other patients who have anosmia due to post-viral syndrome, it could last as long as six months to a year or even two years. So what we need to do is support them mentally and emotionally during this phase and also recommend about the olfactory training which Dr. O'Brien mentioned. We will continue to bring you updates on the situation as the event unfolds. If you have enjoyed the Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and see you next week.